Hi there and welcome. The First Christian Church podcast ministry features the teaching and preaching of the First Christian Church in downtown Roseburg, Oregon. Here's today's message. Covering today, we're in Hebrews chapter 11. You ever come up on a moment in your life and think, this is not what I had planned for today? How many of you had, whoa, pardon, how many of you had a moment this morning where something didn't go as planned? Raise your hand. Spilled coffee, anyone? Burnt coffee? Um, The car wouldn't start. Um, Something goes on. There's chaos with the pets. Uh, The kids are having a rough moment. Last week, I went out to the parking lot after work one night, and I had a flat tire. And you know, I never schedule that in my planner. Those of you who know me know I have a pretty accurate planner, and I try to schedule out my time. I never plan in time for a flat tire, and it just kind of ruins your moment. It ruins the day, and for most of us, we can handle those types of detours pretty well, right? Pretty well. We can change our shirt when we have the spilled coffee. We can get ourselves to the tire shop to, uh, to get tires. We can help the pets do what they need to do. We can help our kids when they need that extra help. But what do you do in life when you come to a moment where it's not so much that your day is detoured, but your whole life just comes to a halt? And it's not what you had planned, not, not so much for your day, it's not what you had planned for your life. And the dream job has laid you off. Your perfect child Surprise is not so perfect. The diagnosis is worse than you thought. The marriage is falling apart. And as a follower of Jesus Christ, the promise that we were given or that we feel like we were given is just not coming true. To begin today's study in Hebrews chapter 11, we're going to start at the end of the chapter because there's a sobering verse in verse 39, if you have your notes or if you have your Bibles. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 39 says this, These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. None of them received what had been promised. So how many received the promise? None of them. Now, who made the promise? That seems off, doesn't it? That God would make a promise and none of them receive the promise. So what do we do when it seems like the promises of God go unfulfilled in our life? And what kind of God lets promises go unfulfilled? What kind of God gives a promise that is left unfulfilled? The very beginning of the verse says they were all commended for their faith. So it wasn't like they had come up short. They exhibited faith. They lived lives of faith. They had moments where their faith was displayed and empowered, and yet still, none of them. I'd feel a whole lot better about this verse if it said, but some of them received what had been promised. Because then maybe there's some point in my life where by, by, by God's uh, equation or by some uh, pure chance of luck, I fall into the some of them. But it says none of them received what had been promised. We go back to the beginning of chapter 11 to hear what the writer of Hebrews says about this word faith. And we come to verse 1 where he says this. Now faith 
is confidence. Everyone say that word, confidence. In what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Verse 2, this is what the ancients were commended for. Verse 3, by faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. It feels like a Dr. Seuss poem there in verse 3. The phrases seemed a little out of place, doesn't it? What he's saying is the fundamental fact of his existence is that this trust in God, this faith, is the firm foundation under everything that makes life worth living. It's our handle on what we cannot see. And the act of faith is what distinguished our ancestors, set them apart from the crowd, and by faith we see the world called into existence by God's Word. What we see created by what we don't see. So the definition of faith is this. The confidence in what we hope for and the assurance about what we do not see. Faith is the confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. So this word confidence in what we hope for, what he's talking about there in the first part of that definition is the confidence we have is in a person. It's in Jesus Christ. So faith is the confidence in Jesus. And then it says uh, it's also the assurance about what we do not see. And most times in life, what we do not see is this, God is working where we don't see it. He's working when we don't observe it. He's working when we can't understand it. And so what is faith? Faith is confidence in what we hope for. That's Jesus. And it's the assurance about what we don't see. The assurance is this, that God is working. So faith is confidence in Jesus an assurance that God is working, that Jesus is working. See, faith has little to nothing to do with what we cannot see. It's about trust. It's about hope. It's about faith. And from the beginning of time, the writer of Hebrews begins to share the life and stories of men and women of faith. In fact, I'd encourage you later today or maybe this week, read through the entire Hebrews chapter 11. And you'll see these stories of faith. It begins with Cain and Abel. By faith, Cain and Abel, our Abel brought a better sacrifice to God than Cain. It was what he believed, not what he brought that made the difference, though. And that's what God noticed and approved his sacrifice as righteous. The writer of Hebrews tells them about Noah. Oh, in the story of Noah, by faith, Noah built a ship in the middle of dry land where they had never seen rain. He was warned about something he couldn't see and acted on what he was told, and the result was his family was saved. He acted in faith, and he drew a sharp line between the unbelieving world and the call that God had put in his life, and as a result, Noah became the friend of God. He tells them about Abraham and Sarah, and by faith, Abraham said yes to God to travel to an unknown place. Abraham was on a road trip in Genesis chapter 11, and the next thing you know, God says, I want you to move, and I just want you to leave, and I will tell you where you're going when you get there. <laughs> he had no idea where he was going, and by faith, he lived in a country promised to him and lived as strangers camping in tents. Abraham did it by keeping his eye on an unseen city with real eternal foundations designed and built by God. 
Sarah began, was barren and was able to become pregnant, an old woman as she was at the time, because she believed the one who had made promise and he would keep up his end of the word. Abraham, at the time of his testing, offered Isaac as a sacrifice to God. And Abraham figured out that if God wanted to, he could raise Abraham or his son Isaac from the dead. And in essence, that's what happened when he received Isaac back alive from the altar. He goes on to tell them about Moses. Moses is a fascinating story. And by faith, Moses, when he was grown, refused the privileges of his royal family. And he chose a hard life with God's people rather than the opportunistic soft line of sin with the oppressors. He valued suffering in the camp of Jesus and the camp of God greater than the Egyptian wealth. And he turned his heel on Egypt indifferent to the kings and the Pharaoh's blind rage. He had his eye on God and in faith, God led the children out of Israel. He tells them about Rahab, an unlikely story of faith, a harlot, a prostitute who welcomed the spies and escaped the destruction that came on those who refused to trust God. What's beautiful is that we get to verse 32 of Hebrews chapter 11, and he simply stops listing people's names. He's, he, he can't finish. In fact, he says he can't continue because he's running out of room. There's so many stories of faith. And he goes and he says, boy, there's, there's stories about uh, men and women who toppled kingdoms and they administered justice. They were protected from lions and fires and they turned disadvantages to advantages and they won battles and they routed armies and women received their loved ones back from the dead and they did all these things by faith. All through this confidence in God, what we hope for, and the assurance that he was working even though it looks like he wasn't working. I want you to think about the audience for just a minute that the writer of Hebrews is writing to. It's so important as we go through these chapters to understand who is receiving this letter in, uh, in its original context. These are persecuted Hebrew Christian Jews. They had been uh, following the Torah, the, the Pentateuch, the, the writings and the teachings of Moses. They had kept the law, and then they came to faith in Jesus. They heard about Jesus. They heard about his sinless, perfect life. They heard about the fact that he died on a cross for our sins as he promised he would. He was buried for those days, and then he was uh, resurrected in life in that there was disciples and others who saw Jesus after he died because he had risen and then he ascended into heaven. And so now these Hebrew Christian Jews are putting their faith and trust in Jesus. And there's consequences to their faith. I don't know if we understand what it means to have a consequence to our faith. But because of their faith, they lost their jobs. Because of their faith, they lost their families sometimes. Because of their faith in Jesus, they were driven out, they were persecuted, they were cast out of their homes, they were, um, they, some of them lost their lives, all because of their faith. And for that audience, you could probably hear them thinking, this is not what I signed up for. 
You promised me life. You promised me eternal life, Lord. You, 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 I understand that you are the way, the truth, and the life, but I thought it meant much more than this. I thought you promised us more than this. And then we come to verse 39, and these Hebrew Christian Jews are reading this letter from, from, from someone they trust and someone they love, and this is what the letter says. They were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what they had been promised. So what do we do when it seems like the promises of God go unfulfilled in our life? So... Some brief observations regarding these unfulfilled promises, and then we'll finish the chapter with verse 40. I would say this, church family, regarding unfulfilled promises, it's human nature to question God. But I remember being a 16-year-old, a 14, 15-year-old being in high school, and all I ever wanted to do was to work for the Lakers or I wanted to preach the gospel. It became really, really evident early in my life that working for the Lakers was not going to happen. And I remember as a high schooler going to El Medina High School there in Orange, California, and I remember thinking, boy, I just need to get to high school so I can go to Bible college. Because when I get to Bible college, I can, I can learn and train, and after Bible college, I get to pastor. And I remember going to, uh, uh, to college in Lancaster, California, the Antelope Valley, where uh, it's in technically Southern California, but everything you think about Southern California doesn't exist in the Antelope Valley. <laughs> Some of you are shaking your head. Maybe you know the area. We would chase tumbleweeds for sport. I remember graduating uh, getting my bachelor's and then going for my master's. And then I had spent a summer in Medford, Oregon when I was 20 years old. And, uh, and I had never been outside of California. And I came to Medford and I thought, man, I still remember being on that flight. And, and I had a direct flight into Medford. And I remember coming into Medford. And if you've ever flown into Medford, all you see is a bunch of trees for a while right before you land. And I remember getting nauseous, looking at the trees, thinking, that's the most amount of Douglas fir I've ever seen in my life. And we spent that summer in Medford, and I remember praying to God, and more it was a request. I just remember saying, Lord, if you'll let me, I'll live here. If you'll let me, I'll pastor in Oregon. I love it so much. And when I was 23 years old, I came and came to Cottage Grove to start a church, and I would sell cars from Tuesday through Saturday at the Kendall in Cottage Grove. And on Sundays, I would preach my heart out, and on Mondays, I would study and get ready for the next week and then go back to work Tuesday and do it all over again. And a few hours into that, or a few years into that ministry, for a variety of reasons, the ministry came to its end. And I remember finding myself as a 26- and 25-year-old thinking and questioning the scriptures that I had memorized as a child. I would quote them in disbelief, and I would quote them in anger, and I would quote them in frustration because I felt like the promises of God didn't make sense anymore. Monday through Friday, since the pandemic started, we've been going chapter by chapter through the book of Psalms. And you can find it on Facebook Live and um, I lost, I lose track. I don't know where we're at. I think we're in Psalms 134 tomorrow. Um, Psalms 134, Psalms 135. But in the book of Psalms that we have noticed in the last few months, many of those Psalms are David questioning God. And many of them come from this place of disbelief or anger or frustration. 
And as we look at it closer, I really truly believe it shows the depth of David's faith, not the lack of it. I believe it shows this authenticity to his faith because it is human nature to question God. And it is in these moments where we question God that we have an opportunity to act closer to him as long as we are looking for an answer. Have you found yourself believing in a promise that feels like it's not coming true? It's human nature to question God. I would say also this morning, you're in good company. If you have been in a place where it feels like you have unfulfilled promises, let me tell you, you're in good company. You're not alone. You remember the list of people we just discussed? Noah believed God and lived in faith, yet died without receiving the promise of God. Abraham, Jacob, Joseph, the scripture says all of these died not having received the promise of God, and they didn't receive their promise Either you are in good company. We talked about it a little bit last week, but God is a generational God, and what he promises in one generation often is fulfilled in another generation. For instance, when God promised a nation to Abraham in Genesis 12, he fulfills it through Jacob and Joseph. When he promised the exodus of his people in Exodus chapter 33 to Moses, it is fulfilled through Joshua. When he promised to Rahab the prostitute, whatever, what he promised to Rahab the prostitute was actually fulfilled through her son Boaz and her daughter-in-law Ruth. On and on throughout history. And so it may feel like your promises are not being fulfilled. It is human nature to question God and you are in good company. But my final observation for you today is this. Your story is not yours to write. It is yours to yield. I think one of the hard things for these Christians that were being persecuted when they read this letter was to understand that God was sovereign and His plan is perfect. And even though we cannot see it, God is working. Even though we cannot feel it, God is working. And even though we do not see the evidence of fulfilled promises in our life, God is still working. He is God and we are not, and it's our story is not ours to write, it is ours to yield to God. It's God's story, and as we consider uh, these verses, it encourages us to look to Jesus. In Hebrews chapter 12, in the next chapter, next week, we'll see that Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith. Those are very, uh, very specific words the writer of Hebrew uses to help us understand that we are not the authors of our faith. He starts our story for us. We are not the finishers of our faith. He finishes our story. And our frustrations come as believers when we try to bear the responsibility of being both the author and finisher of our own story. Because that's not what God has intended. He is the author, the finisher. Our story is not ours to write. It is ours to yield. You know what yield means, right? You've seen the sign before when you're driving. And for most of us, when we see the yield sign, one of two things happens to our right foot in the car. You have an opportunity to yield. And for some of us, our right foot immediately goes to the gas side. Raise your hand if you're honest enough. Only two of you are honest enough. Three, okay. And you see the yield sign and immediately your right foot goes to the gas because no one's going to get in front of me. I need to go where I'm going. By the way, in Roseburg, it takes us six minutes to go anywhere, right? Like, I don't know why we're in such a hurry. 
The other opportunity we have when we see that yield sign is to let off the gas. Hit the brakes and yield to what is already happening. And so what God would love for us to do is in these moments when it feels like our our stories are being unfulfilled and the promises of God just don't make sense, my marriage doesn't look like what I thought it would, and my dream job is a nightmare, and my, my kids, I don't recognize them anymore, and my health, I didn't know this was possible. And so when you have all these things happening in your life, what God would really like us to do is to take our foot off the gas just a little bit and yield to what he's already doing. Our stories are not ours to write it. They are ours to yield. You see, the promises of God are not so much about the promises as they are about the promiser. Who is making these promises? Uh, We're going to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 1 for a moment. 2 Corinthians 1. If you have your Bibles, turn there. You're going to go left in your Bibles a few books. If you have the app, you can go there. If you have the outline, you can look at it. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Verse 20 says this, For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through Him, the Amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Jesus is the fulfiller and the fulfillment of every promise of God. He is the promise of God. And no matter how many promises, 2 Corinthians tells us, how many promises God has made, how dead they seem, how unfulfilled they seem, they are yes in Christ because Jesus is the promise of God. So in the midst of what seems like an unfulfilled promise, we yield and we listen to the voice of God. You may not see it now, but you're going to make some mistakes. You're going to go through some loss. You're going to go through a moment where you feel like your world is crumbling. And just when it feels like the promises of God are not being fulfilled, you're going to find yourself in a place where you will see the promises of God being fulfilled if you yield. We have some folks in our church family that are going through some some circumstances that we could not possibly imagine. We're talking about loss of spouses and and loss of grandparents. We're talking about COVID-19 diagnoses and, and, and marital infidelity. We're talking about some of the hardest things that families would have to go through on their own. And it feels like the promises of God are going unfulfilled. It's human nature to question God. Based on what we read in Hebrews chapter 11 and the cast of characters we see, you're in good company. But may I remind you, your story is not really about you. It's about him. I want you to understand this morning that the casualty of not placing your hope and faith in the person of Jesus Christ is quite severe. Proverbs 13 says it this way. Hope deferred makes the heart, what's the next word? He uses the word heart intentionally, I believe. He doesn't use the word stomach. He doesn't tell us that hope deferred makes your pinky sick or your big toe hurt. It makes your heart sick. Because the moment it affects your heart, it affects affects life itself. And when the heart is sick, when the heart ceases to function... 
life is in jeopardy. And so what Proverbs is telling us is the casualty of putting your hope in yourself or your own strength is that our hearts have the opportunity and probably the likelihood of becoming sick, becoming weak, and we cease to live for the cause of Christ in our lives. Some hard questions this morning as we reflect and we respond. What are the unfulfilled promises in your life and in the life of your family? If you were to think right now, boy, what's the area of your life or the area of your family where you feel like you're holding on to a promise that has been left unfulfilled? And regarding that unfulfilled promise, what would it take for you to yield your story to His? What would it take for you to not force your way and not, not, not aggravate the situation, but to yield to His Holy Spirit's leading? And then let me ask you thirdly as we consider this, how's your diet this morning? Are you feeding your doubts and your fears and your unbelief, or are you feeding your faith? what your diet looks like, whichever one you feed will grow. And so if you're in a situation where you have these doubts and you have these unbeliefs and your fears and yet you feed them, uh, how do we feed doubts and fears and unbelief? Um, Well, we worry about them, right? Rather than praying about them, we hold on to them. We nurture them. We worry and we worry and we worry. We take things, we take matters into our own hand. We refuse the, uh, the Holy Spirit's leading and all of a sudden what happens to those doubts and those fears and unbelief, all of a sudden they start to grow and they start to bloom in your life. The other opportunity you have is when you have those doubts and those fears and those unbelief is to feed your faith is to spend time in God, in worship, in Scripture, around other believers. And as you do that, what will happen is this. Your faith will grow, and what seems so big over here will minimize in its size. What are you feeding this morning? There was a pastor in Ohio who had a heart surgeon that went to his church. And he was a very successful heart surgeon, and the pastor wanted to see a surgery. And so he asked the heart surgeon that was attending his church, is there an opportunity for me to observe a surgery from the, uh, from the observ- uh, help me out, observatory deck? And so the heart surgeon obliged, and they set up a day where they would be able to, uh, the pastor would be able to observe this heart surgery, and they go through the process and Uh, They open up the chest cavity and they take the heart and they begin to repair the heart. And when they were all done repairing the heart, it came time to restart the heart before they would close the cavity. They went through the process and come to find out the heart would not start. And they double-checked everything and yet the heart would not start. And the pastor saw the doctor do something completely out of the ordinary It wasn't taught in medical school or anything like that. The surgeon got on one knee and began talking to the patient. And the doctor said, hello, Mrs. Johnson, this is your doctor. We've fixed your heart. There's nothing wrong with it anymore. 
Mrs. Johnson, if you can hear me, I need you to tell your heart to beat again. We go through our lives and we see these promises of God and sometimes they feel like they're not being fulfilled. It's human nature to question God. And you're not alone, but your story is not yours to write, it's yours to yield. And the moment that we forget whose story it is is the moment that our heart is in jeopardy and that's the moment where life is in jeopardy. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 39 is this sobering verse You'll notice that it ends with a comma, though, and I want to read the last verse for you. It says this, These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised, verse 40, since God had planned something better for us, so that only, what's the next word? Together with us would they be made perfect. God has planned something better. Uh, I'll be honest with you, I don't understand this. What is better? Well, it's Jesus, it's his daily presence, it's his future faithfulness. But what I believe that God is pointing us to is this. God planning something better for us is eternity. I don't understand it. I can't explain it. But I do know that life in essence is a preparation for eternity. And our days are numbered. In Hebrews chapter 10, the last chapter reminded us, it is appointed unto men once to die. And after this judgment, we give an account for our life. And we give an account for the moments that we live, the decisions that we make, the behaviors that we have, the thoughts that we think, all of it. We give an account for it. And what God is pointing us to is that these moments in your life that feel like unfulfilled promises and these, uh, Paul calls it in Corinthians, these momentary light of afflictions that we might have in this life, God has planned something better for us. And so we choose to trust in His daily presence. We choose to trust in His future faithfulness. And we choose to believe in the promise of eternity. That's what faith is. Confidence in Jesus and assurance about what we do not see. How do I go through life with unfulfilled promises or that feel like unfulfilled promises? I remind myself of this verse and I remind myself that God has planned something better for me. Something better for us that only together with us would be made perfect. Boy, the confidence of knowing Jesus and being assured that God is in control and that he is working behind the scenes even when we cannot see it, this is how we move forward in the midst of unfulfilled promises because God has planned something better. Let me pray for you this morning. Could you bow with your uh, heads? you bow your heads for a moment? Our worship team is going to make their way to the stage and they're going to prepare to lead us in two really, really beautiful songs that take us to the very throne of God and allow us to breathe and to sing the words about Jesus that we believe. If you have never placed your trust in God and started a personal relationship with Him, let me encourage you that today is the day to do so. Salvation is found no one else. 
And the Bible teaches us that there is no one, no other name under heaven where we can be saved. And it's as simple as declaring with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Believing in your heart that God raised him from the dead. The Bible teaches us you will be saved and forge a personal relationship with God. It's with your heart that you believe. And it's with your mouth that you profess that you are. Faith is in Christ and in Christ alone. In a few moments, we're going to take communion. And if you're watching this at home, I'd encourage you to gather your communion elements. And when we take communion, it is a reminder to us of what Jesus did on the cross. The blood represented by the juice and the bread, or I'm sorry, the body represented by the bread, points us back to Calvary, points us back to the cross of Jesus Christ. And perhaps this is the first time you receive communion as a follower of Jesus Christ. Boy, if you've already made that decision and you are a follower of Christ, you're a Christian, I hope, I hope to encourage you about these unfulfilled promises. You're in good company. And these are opportunities for us to yield to take our foot off the gas, to not force our own way, to not rush the situation, but to allow what God is already moving and working to happen in our life. What would it look like if we all yielded our story to God? What would it look like if this church would yield in such a way that we just give God full control? What would it mean for our families and for our spouses and for our children? What would it mean for our careers and our, 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 our work life if we just yielded to the Holy Spirit as He leads us? If you're a follower of Christ, let me encourage you this morning to take some steps to feed your faith. Far too many of us feed our doubts and our unbelief and our fears throughout the week. And we come to church Sunday and these doubts and these fears and unbelief are growing out of control and, and we leave on Sunday and think, boy, that's not, that's not what I thought I would receive. That's, that's not enough to get me through the week. And let me encourage you to feed your faith through the week, to take time in worship, to take time praying and letting God know what's on your heart and how you need his presence and how you need his courage to go through the week. Let me encourage you to spend time in the word as a family, as couples, as individuals. I encourage you to feed your faith. There's so many voices in our life that are competing for our attention. Whether it's the demands of our work or the demands of our schedule or the demands of social media or the demands of the news outlets, there are so many different voices competing for your attention. Let me encourage you as your pastor to feed your faith this week. Father, we, um, we are grateful that you have something better planned for us. Father, thank you that all the promises, no matter how many they are, are yes in Christ. 
So, Father, together we commit ourselves to you and we ask, Father, we want to yield in our lives. We want your story to be written by you. We want our stories to be authored by you. And so, Father, we pray that you would give us the courage and the boldness to feed our faith and to yield to the Holy Spirit as you lead. Help us to keep our eyes on eternity. And Father, we pray that you would bless our families, our careers, our health. But Father, in those moments when it feels like your promises are not being fulfilled, rather than double down into fear and unbelief and doubts, I pray that as a church, as individuals, as families, we would yield and we would feed our faith. We love you, Lord. We commit this service to you. And Father, we pray as we worship our wonderful, our merciful Savior, Father, that our hearts would center around what you've done for us. When we think about the power of the cross, we would be reminded that all these promises are yes in Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. If you made a decision for Christ or would like prayer with someone from our church family, we would love to connect with you. You can message us on Facebook by searching Roseburg First Christian Church, or you can email us directly at roseburgfcc at gmail.com. In addition, if you're listening to this message on Apple or Spotify, we invite you to like, subscribe, rate, and review this podcast and share it on social media so others can be blessed as well. God bless you and have a beautiful day.